Hi there! Welcome to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. This is podcast number 598 for August 14th, 2016. I'm your guest host, Dave White, and I'm a long-time listener to the podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast about King Arthur and the various characters and settings and the elements of fantasy and science fiction of that historical and legendary story. In part one, I focused on literature, or the printed word. Today, in part two, I'll be focusing on visual literature, or movies and TV. And if you're hanging out waiting to hear clips from Monty Python, stay tuned. First of all, thank you again to Rico for giving me this opportunity. The story of King Arthur has fascinated me for a very long time, and I have studied it in depth for a few decades now. I don't claim to be an expert, but I've seen a few on TV. In fact, I've seen a lot of King Arthur on TV and at the movies, and that's what I'm going to share with you today. So here we go. Just to recap a bit from part one, King Arthur was, as most of you will know, a historical or perhaps legendary king of England, who made a name for himself by winning some spectacular battles in what we would call the Dark Ages, in England after the Romans had left. The Saxons were on the move, invading in large force, and England needed a champion to stem the tide. Into that gap rode Arthur, and he had great success, so much so that we remember his name and his story even today, 1,500 years later. That's the history bit. The legend bit is where we encounter the stuff of fantasy and science fiction. Knights in shining armor wielding magical swords and Merlin and Morgan Le Fay doing battle with high magic, things like that. So, the first writings to mention Arthur by name were from the 9th century. TV and movies weren't around back then, so we have to fast forward just a bit to the 20th century. One of the major written works on King Arthur that I mentioned last time was Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Twain's book was a satire in more ways than one, but the most well-known film version takes that a step further and plunks down Bing Crosby in the title role and gives him a bunch of songs to sing, like If You Stub Your Toe on the Moon. Well, this is much more merry than the book, which was rather dark, but this 1949 film does feature some convincing sets and costumes. This film, by the way, featured Cedric Hardwick playing King Arthur. Hardwick was a very well-known stage and film actor. Among his other film roles was a SETI I in Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. Bing Crosby's wasn't the first film version of Connecticut Yankee, by the way. Way back in 1921, a guy named Harry Myers starred in a silent version of the story. The same production team went back to the same well a decade later when the talkies were taking the film world by storm. The Yankee in that version was none other than the singing cowboy himself, Will Rogers. That 1931 film was also notable for a turn by the famous Myrna Loy as Morgan Le Fay. And this Mark Twain story has been portrayed on film many, many, many times since. So Bing Crosby's musical comes out in 1949. Just four years later, MGM spent a boatload of money on what was deemed a faithful interpretation of Sir Thomas Mallory, the
the gold standard for medieval tellers of Arthur's tales. This was the movie Knights of the Round Table. Bombshell Ava Gardner played Guinevere. Robert Taylor, fresh off a starring role in Ivanhoe, got top billing, but he played Lancelot. Mel Farrar played Arthur. Still in the 1950s, we have a screen version of Prince Valiant, which was a King Arthur-esque comic introduced in the 1930s. Now, we have this whole tradition of King Arthur in the comics down to the present day and even into the future. If you look hard enough, you can find something called Camelot 3000. Arthur is a favorite subject for comic book writers. Okay, so one of the books I talked about in part one was The Once and Future King by T.H. White, which appeared in 1958. This compilation is of four books written during a period of 20 years. The first book, written in 1938, is the most famous, and it's called The Sword in the Stone. And Disney made a movie of that first book in 1963. Many of you have probably seen this movie. It's a good bit of fun. Here's a clip. One, two, left and right, by day and night. That's what makes the world go round. In and out, thin and stout. That's what makes the world go round. For every up, there is a down. For every square, there is a round? Yes. For every high, there is a low? Yeah. And for every two, there is a fro. Fro. Yes, fro. To and fro, stop and go. That's what makes the world go round. In and out, thin and stout. Merlin! Oh! Merlin! I, I swallowed a bug! Oh. <laughs> What's wrong with that? After all, a boy, you are a fish. Instinct, you know. <laughs> but you said I had no instinct. Yes. Oh. Oh, I did. Well, that, that's neither here nor there. The main thing is, you must set your sights upon the heights. Don't be a mediocrity. Mediocrity? That's right. Don't just wait and trust to fate and say that's how it's meant to be. It's up to you how far you go. If you don't try, you'll never know. And so, my lad, as I've explained, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Have a do the dee dum, bitty dum bum, ba do 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 The four-book compilation was also the basis for the Lerner and Lowe musical, Camelot. This was first a stage production in 1960, and then a movie in 1967. The stage production featured Richard Burton as Arthur, and Julie Andrews as Guinevere. Robert Goulet was Lancelot. The movie version, which is probably more well-known, featured Richard Harris as King Arthur, and Vanessa Redgrave as Guinevere. Lancelot in the film was played by a guy named Franco Nero, who went on to a career as a movie tough guy and, as life would have it, is now married to Vanessa Redgrave. Here's a clip from the first song in the musical, sung by Richard Harris. This is I Wonder What the King is Doing Tonight. I know what my people are thinking tonight. As home through the shadows they wander. 
everyone smiling in secret delight as they stare at the castle and ponder. Whenever the wind blows this way, you can almost hear everyone say, I wonder what the king is doing tonight. What merriment is the king pursuing tonight? The candles at the court, they never burned as bright. I wonder what the king is up to tonight. How goes the final hour as he sees the bridal bower being legally and regally prepared? Well, I'll tell you what the king is doing tonight. He's scared. He's scared. King who fought a dragon, whacked him in two, and fixed his wagon, goes to wed in terror and distress. Yes. A warrior who succumbs in battle, even his armor doesn't rattle, faces a woman petrified with fright. Right. You mean the appalling clamoring that sounds like a blacksmith hammering is merely the banging of his royal knees. You wonder what the king is wishing tonight? He's wishing he were in Scotland fishing tonight. What occupies his time while waiting for his bride? He's searching high and low for someplace to hide. And oh, the expectation, the sublime anticipation he must feel about the wedding night to come. Well, I'll tell you what the king is feeling tonight. He's numb, he shakes, he quails, he quakes. That's what the king is doing tonight. Like the books, these productions set a light tone at first, but then descend into darkness to mirror the events that end the story. Other memorable songs include C'est Moi, in which Lancelot proclaims himself the best at everything, How to Handle a Woman, in which Arthur confesses that he just doesn't know how, and this one, a bittersweet, near-the-end-of-the-story duet between Guinevere and Arthur. This is a clip from the film of What Do the Simple Folk Do? What do the simple folk do? To help them escape when they're blue? The shepherd who is ailing, the milkmaid who is plumb, the cobbler who is wailing from nailing his thumb when they're beset and besieged the folk not noblessly obliged however do they manage to shed their weary lot oh what do simple folk do we do not I have been informed by those that know them well. They find relief in quite a clever way. When they're sorely pressed, they whistle for a spell. And whistling seems to brighten up their day. And that's what simple folk do, so they say. They just whistle. <sighs> so they say.
One of the more historical films to come out of Britain in the last half of the 20th century was a film called King Arthur Young Warlord. This film, released in 1975, has an alternate title, Arthur of the Britons, and was a miniseries on British television. This film is very much in the historical vein, and the production values are rather good. Here's a little clip from that film. Listen to how Arthur spells out his vision. You're agreed? Yes, it makes sense. We forget our quarrels and join together against Kurdig. It is the way of Rome. It is counseled by the gods. The gods are wiser than I thought. Very well, what I propose... On point! Who are you? You've agreed to combine our forces, yes. But why should you command them? Only he can. By whose word, not mine. No! You go by the law. Not an hour ago, I spared all your lives. I had you all at my mercy. I gave you back your swords. <laughs> <laughs> a sign of your weakness. Let us see if your sword harm shows the same flow. Unless any of the others wants to try his chance against you. Who wins, leads? That's the law. Small boys decide things so. We are grown men! Small boys are not afraid to fight! You can beat him. He's slow on his feet. He drops his shield onto the left, he moves his head forward because Kai, he strikes. I am trying to build an alliance based on sense and reason. If I fight now to prove myself, reason will have flown. I won't be a leader, just a fighting stag. Love knows I'm right. <clears throat> no, Arthur, you are wrong. You fight with your mind as a leader should. But there's a time to fight with the mind and a time to fight with the belly. And these men understand only the belly. You must fight. Also being shown in theaters in 1975 was a low-budget number called... Well, can you guess what it is from the theme music? Yes, it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes, this is one of my favorite movies ever. Yes, I have seen it dozens and dozens of times. Also, yes, these guys did their homework. There's a lot of history in here. These guys really knew their King Arthur. Let's break it down. None shall pass. Remember that guy? That's the Black Knight. He's heavily armored and he wields a big sword, but neither does him much good. You can find references to a Black Knight all over the Arthurian saga. The Black Knight appears in the Vulgate Cycle, the multi-volume work written by a bunch of monks back in the Middle Ages. 
In Thomas Mallory, whose 16th century compendium forms the basis still for most King Arthur stories, Tristan fights as the knight with the black shield, defeating many of Arthur's knights, including Lancelot. Gareth, brother to Gawain, also fights a black knight and emerges victorious. Now, in the Monty Python film, the Black Knight is defending a ford. In the very first Lancelot story, The Knight of the Cart, we encounter the Knight of the Ford, whose task it is to defend a ford against all comers. It is Lancelot who defeats the Knight of the Ford. So who else accompanies Arthur in his quest for the Grail? Well, we have Lancelot, Galahad, Bedivere, Bors, familiar names all, we don't have a Percival, who is otherwise famous in the Arthur sagas. We do have a Robin. He's not much of a brave knight, but he is a knight. So each of the knights went their separate ways. Sir Robin rode north through the dark forest of Ewing, accompanied by his favorite minstrels. Bravely bold Sir Robin brought forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to die, oh, brave Sir Robin. He was not at all afraid to be killed in nasty ways. Brave, 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 brave Sir Robin. One of the descriptions of Sir Robin in the movie is as one who had personally wet himself for the Battle of Badon Hill. Well, we know the significance of Badon Hill, the battle after which Saxons stopped invading Britain for an entire generation. And I would submit that in the thick of battle, Robin would not have been the only one who was so inconvenienced. In fact, if Nennius, our 9th century monk, is correct and Arthur really did kill 960 men single-handed, then a whole lot of Saxons must have wet themselves too in the wake of that ferocious attack. You can buy the script of the film. One entire character exists only in the script. He was cut from the film entirely. The first drafts of the script included the character of King Mark of Cornwall from the famed Tristan and Isolde stories of doomed young love. But King Mark is sir not appearing in this film. Other historical notes. Galahad, on his grail quest, encounters the Castle of the Maidens. That is straight out of the Vulgate cycle. Galahad manages to resist the Maiden's charms long enough to get rescued from the large group of tempting young women by none other than Lancelot. And there's an irony. And there's a line in the film that is quite historically priceless. When Lancelot is hustling Galahad out of the castle, Galahad says he wants to stay and face the peril. And Lancelot says, no, it's too perilous. Remember that Galahad was the only knight who could sit on the siege perilous that seat at the round table that caused instant death to all but the most worthy knight. In one of the more brilliant set pieces in this film, and it really is just a collection of set pieces strung together by a string of a narrative, Arthur and his men are confronted with a castle full of unyielding Frenchmen. Well, at least that's what they think they are confronted with. And so they resort to a bit of trickery. Bedivere, who was proven early on in the film in the witch-burning set piece to be a bit of a clever scientist, convinces Arthur and everybody else to cut down trees in the nearby forest and build a Trojan rabbit. Here's what happens next. 
What happens now? Well, now, uh, Lancelot, uh, Galahad and I uh, wait until nightfall and then leap out of the rabbit, uh, taking the French uh, by surprise. And not only by surprise, but totally unarmed. Who leaps out? Uh, Lancelot, Galahad and I uh, leap out of the rabbit uh, and... Uh, oh. Oh. Um... Look, look, if we built this large wooden badger... Now, the Arthurian sagas don't tell us a whole lot about rabbits, killer or wooden, or large wooden badgers for that matter, but we are treated to plenty of stories of knights fighting great beasts, including dragons. And the whole bridge of death scene near the end of the film is reminiscent of other bridges that Lancelot and other heroes had to cross. Remember from last time how in one famous story Lancelot had to cross a bridge that was one big sharp sword. And the whole idea of answering questions, easy or not, is a bit of a knockoff on the troll under the bridge motif from fairy tales. But you'll notice that the number of questions our heroes had to answer is three. That's one of those symbolic numbers that you can find throughout their Arthurian stories. Besides, five is right out! For my money, the most visually stunning treatment of the Arthurian saga is John Borman's 1981 film Excalibur. A wizard's ancient spell. Into the eyes of the dragon and the despair. And the lust of a lord. I must have her. One night with her. Give birth to an empire. Behold the sword of power. Excalibur! The future has taken root in the present. It is done. Orion Pictures presents John Borman's Excalibur. Knights of the Round Table, we shall always come together in a circle to hear and tell of deeds good and great. And I will marry. Don't you know me, Merlin? Because I'm a creature like you. Their magic is Merlin. Are you just a dream? To some. A nightmare to others. Their king is Arthur. You are my husband. I must be king first. Their power is Excalibur. I swear eternal faith to our king. Sir Lancelot, you will be my champion. Which is that? Greatest quality of knighthood. Truth. We're high evil then. <laughs> Where you never expected. I protest my innocence. Were I not king, I would make you pay with your life. <laughs> A world of wizards, kings, warriors, queens, swords, sorcery, and desire. Forged of splendor and magic, 
where future meets past, flesh meets steel, and the only fear is the pain of love. Excalibur, sword of power, sword of kings. Now, Borman was in talks with J.R.R. Tolkien to do a film version of The Lord of the Rings in the 1970s, but that fell through. A few years later, a hobbit lookalike named Peter Jackson took up the My Precious Mantle and ran with it, but that's another story. Back to John Borman. If you look closely enough, you can see some of Borman's Lord of the Rings ideas in the film Excalibur. Well-known stage and TV actor Nigel Terry plays Arthur in this movie, and he certainly brings a grace and majesty to the role. The big star of this film, though, is not Arthur, but Merlin. Nicole Williamson, a very well-known film and stage star, plays Merlin as a powerful sorcerer whose raptor-like gaze enthralls many a weaker mind. The storyline follows Thomas Mallory for the most part, but again, the visuals that we get of the sword and the magic and the battles and the scenery are exquisite. Merlin's main enemy is Morgana, played by Helen Mirren. Yes, that Helen Mirren. She doesn't play the queen here, but she would like to be queen of all she surveys. She and Nicole Williamson detested each other in real life, and Borman used this to his advantage. The two characters have several riveting scenes together, and their dislike for each other is palpable. Here's one of them. I once released the dragon's breath so Uther could lie with your mother and beget a king. <gasps> it almost destroyed me. But I expect you can do it quite easily. Couldn't you? I see no mist. Have your powers faded too? The charm. That's it. Use the charm. Use it.
Now, the name of the film is Excalibur, and in many ways, the sword is a star as well. It positively gleams in some scenes. It looks larger than it is. It propels Arthur to victory after victory. It is a pure symbol of his prowess and his right to be king. The sword starts out in the lake with the Lady of the Lake, and then Merlin gets it and gives it to Arthur's father, Uther, who has some success wielding it, and then, on his way out of the world, Uther thrusts the sword into a stone, and we're off and running. The first person who tries to draw the sword out of the stone is Leodegrantz, played here by Patrick Stewart. Yes, the actor otherwise known as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. In part one, we heard the clip in which Leodegrantz pledges his support for the young Arthur. The film Excalibur was shot, for the most part, in Ireland and you can see some now-famous Irish actors in the cast. Playing Gawain is Liam Neeson. Playing Uther is Gabriel Byrne. And as a nod to the star power of Nicole Williamson, it is Merlin who gets the last laugh in this one. This is one great and powerful film. One of the highest-grossing films to touch on the King Arthur story was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This third in the Indiana Jones film series finds Indy's dad an expert on the Holy Grail. It's typical Indiana Jones fare with daring chases and traps to avoid. As in the first film in the series, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Nazis are the familiar bad guys. Now, as you know, Riku has certainly covered this movie on this podcast, so I won't go into great detail here. Just a couple of things, though. When Indy finally sees the Grail... He has successfully passed through yet another series of deadly traps, including a startling demonstration of blind faith. Let's 
must believe, boy. You must believe. So in the clip you just heard, Indy walks right out into what looks like for all the world to be a hundred foot drop, yet he steps onto a walkway that was all but invisible. It's a true test of faith, and he has passed. The film ends, as you would think, with Indy victorious, but only after he has given himself permission to let the grail go, and convinced his father to let it go as well. If you thought that Sean Connery might make a good King Arthur, then you might like First Night, a 1995 film with a lot of star power and a rather intriguing absence of magic. We don't see a Merlin here, or a Lady of the Lake, or even a Morgan Le Fay. This film is all about the enmity between Arthur and Malagant, who abducts Guinevere not once, but twice. Here's a clip from the movie, and it sets the scene for the struggle that follows. We've had our share of war. Now I look forward to quieter days. But first, admit our guest. Prince Maligant is here at my invitation. May I congratulate the king on his forthcoming marriage? I see my place hasn't been taken yet. To think that I was once first among your knights. You left this council of your own free will. We each of us must follow our own road, my lord, and mine had further to go. And where does your road take you, Maligant? To Leoness? Leoness is my neighbor. I've offered the lady a treaty of friendship. I still await an answer. You call burning villages an act of friendship? Oh, yes, my lady. Since your honored father's death, your land has been more lawless by the day. Were you yourself not attacked on the road here? You know who attacked me. I made it my business to know. The bandits have been hunted down. Justice has been done. What justice? You know no law higher than yourself. Armed forces to be given access to all Leoness. Troops to assist in the enforcement of law in all Leoness. Do you want to sign this? I'll never sign it. There's your answer. She says no. She's very brave. Now she's to be married. So is Leoness to come under the protection of Camelot? 
Is Leoness in need of protection? Come, Arthur. I'm here to settle this business. We both know Leoness is too weak to stand alone. Let's say half each. The lesser gives way to the greater. And what nation could be greater than Camelot? The land of justice and the hope of mankind. Come, your hand on it. We'll all live together as friends. You offer me what isn't yours to give. You all know me. You know I'm a man of my word. Don't make an enemy of me. I mean no harm to Camelot. You know the law we live by. And where is it written, beyond Camelot live lesser people? People too weak to protect themselves, let them die. Hmm? Other people live by other laws, Arthur. Or is the law of Camelot to rule the entire world? There are laws that enslave men, and laws that set them free. Either what we hold to be right and good and true is right and good and true for all mankind under God, or we're just another robber tribe. Your fine words are talking you out of peace and into war. There's a peace that's only to be found on the other side of war. If that battle must come, I will fight it. And I! And I! The great Arthur and his great dream. No dream lasts forever. What is the status of the army? Two battalions under arms, two in reserve, sir. I'll double the watch on all gates, sire. Sire, I don't believe Maligant wants war with Camelot. Arm the reserves. He wants war, Ador, and he thinks he can win. He wants Leoness as a buffer. He wants Camelot. He always has. How soon could he attack? There's no army within five days' march of Camelot. So much for my quieter days. Also, as the title suggests, this is very much the story of Lancelot, of his origins, of his fighting prowess, and of his love for the Queen. The strong-chinned Richard Gere is Lancelot, and Julia Ormond plays Guinevere. Not a whole lot of magic going on here, but a lot of the location shots are gorgeous to look at, and the battle scenes are first-rate. One of the more historically bent films in the last two decades was the simply named King Arthur, starring Clive Owen in the title role, as a Roman commander of a group of cavalry fighters, and Keira Knightley as Battle Princess Guinevere. This 2004 film was notable for its setting, post-Roman Britain along Hadrian's Wall, and for its makeup, the blue paint of the northern tribes, most notably the Picts in the film called The Wodes. And in this film, the leader of The Wodes is a man named Merlin. For centuries, countless tales have been told of the legend of King Arthur. But the only story you've never heard is the true story that inspired the legend. Welcome to our table. To you, noble knights, your discharge papers to freedom. freedom. 
Before Arthur became king, he was a soldier who wanted to return home. We have been fighting here for 15 years. I want peace, Lancelot. I've had enough. Before Guinevere became queen. My father told me great tales of you, Arthur and his knights. She was a warrior, fighting for her people. A vast and terrible army has come to destroy this country. Before there was a legend. These people need our help. There was a man who would unite a nation. This place, this land, is the last outpost of freedom, of everything you hold dear. Lord, guide my hand and Excalibur. I am ready. Knights, if this be our destiny, so be it. But let history remember that as free men, we chose to make it so. Wherever I go on this island, I hear your name. Mark my face, for the next time you see it, it will be the last thing you see on this earth. Finally, a man worth killing. Harkening way back to the really early sources, the evil Vaders in this representation are the Saxons, led by historical figures Kerdic and his son Kinric. Other familiar elements include Excalibur, pulled by Arthur out of the burial mound of his father. Arthur counts among his followers guys named Lancelot, and Gawain, and Galahad, and Tristan, and Bors. The film has this spectacular battle on the ice. A verbal description would not do it justice. You have to see it on the big screen. The film includes the climactic Battle of Badon Hill, which takes place just south of Hadrian's Wall. The movie was filmed in England, Wales, and Ireland. And the Hadrian's Wall bits were filmed in Ireland in a field in County Kildare and involved a one-kilometer-long wall built entirely for the film. We've had a few really good kids' films on the Arthur theme in the last half-century. A Kid in King Arthur's Court came out in the mid-90s. About the same time, we saw an update of Mark Twain's story with a young Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And in 1998, we were treated to the animated Quest for Camelot, which had in its cast a slew of well-known actors, including Jane Seymour, Gary Oldman, Gabriel Byrne, Pierce Brosnan as Arthur, and John Gielgud as Merlin. This film featured a female main character dreaming of being a knight. And, Rico, you'll be interested in this one, the character's name was Kaylee. Here's a clip that features Kaylee, played in the film by Jessalyn Gilsig. Caliber, it's been stolen. 
No, absolutely not. But, Mother, Excalibur is missing. I must go after it. That's a job for the knights, not for a young girl. But I want to be a knight. Well, go on grand adventures, fighting evil, rescuing damsels in distress. What is a damsel, anyway? Now, Kaylee, Kaylee, stand still and try on your new dress. Mother, I don't want a new dress. I want to save Camelot. If you just let me, I know I could find Excalibur all on my own. The knights will find the sword, and they'll do it by working together. While I'm working here, doing the chores, fetching the eggs, taking care of the house, boring. Where's the glory in that? Kaylee, one day you will learn what Camelot means. Till then, you'll stay here with me. Oh, all right. What would you do? do great things if I'm stuck here with these silly chickens. One other Arthurian element to cover with the films, we saw Sean Connery as Arthur in First Night. He also played one of the title characters in an adaptation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. We've had a few versions of this committed to film. The 1973 version had Mary Head as Gawain and Nigel Green as, appropriately, the Green Knight. Perhaps the more interesting version was also titled Sword of the Valiant. This one came out in 1984 and starred Miles O'Keefe as Gawain. Of more interest to us here, though, was that Sean Connery played the Green Knight. This version had a star-studded cast, including Trevor Howard, Peter Cushing, and John Rhys-Davies. It has some amazing special effects, including the one where Gawain chops off the Green Knight's head in front of Arthur and the whole of Camelot, and then the Green Knight picks his head up and puts it back on his shoulders. Imagine that description as you listen to this clip.
These young eyes have seen nothing of the world yet. Shall I snuff out their light? Shall these young lips grow cold before they have tasted life or touched a woman's cheek? shall not die yet to defend their lack of courage. I came to challenge a man, not a beardless boy. I give you a year's grace to grow your beard. Twelve sweet, short months of life to do with as you will. But when the seasons have come full circle, we shall meet again. And you shall pay your debt to me. As the King Arthur story burst onto the silver screen, we began to see films featuring other characters. The Adventures of Sir Galahad premiered in 1950, and Sword of Lancelot appeared in 1963. Lancelot was the star of a TV show in the 1950s, as the story of Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table made it onto the small screen. Here's a clip from that, in which Lancelot tries to get his fellow knights into better fighting shape. Sword. Is it too heavy for you? No. Then why don't you swing it occasionally? Haven't you learned anything from the instructions I've given you? Well, you said to defend myself at all times. I, I was defending myself. Yes, but just defending yourself won't win any battles. You've got to attack. Bore in. Understand? I think so. All right, then. Let me see a snarl on your face. Snarl! Now, attack! There was a bit of a gap in TV portrayals after that. We got the animated series King Arthur and the Knights of Justice in the early 90s, and a strange little number called Mr. Merlin, which ran for all of a season in the early 80s, and featured Barnard Hughes as the title character, who was immortal and living in San Francisco in the modern day. We also saw a few one-off TV specials in the 80s and 90s, including a big-budget miniseries of Marion Zimmer Bradley's math book The Mists of Avalon, which I covered in detail last week. Here's a bit of the music from this one.
TV special was as good as the book is, and that's saying something because that is one amazing book. Lots of famous people in this one. Juliana Margulies is the lead, Morgane. Joan Allen is her nemesis, Morgaus. Angelica Houston is the Lady of the Lake. My Aunt Morgos used magic against a woman she had decided to hate. By the fire and the stone. By the water and the air. I curse you. Guinevere of Lodacrance, I curse you forever! He has the people's passion. If anyone can save Britain, he can. He'll have to do it in his own lifetime. What have you done? No son of his will follow him to the throne. Always will. Bit of trivia here. Playing Lancelot in this one was Michael Vartan, who played Markle Vaughn on the J.J. Abrams-directed TV show Alias. If you look hard enough, you can find these TV specials from that time period. Merlin and the Sword, otherwise known as Arthur the King, starring Malcolm McDowell as King Arthur, Edward Woodward as Merlin, and Candace Bergen as Morgan Le Fay. And Guinevere, told from her point of view, a 1994 TV movie featuring Cheryl Lee as a title character and also featuring Nora Wiley as Lancelot and Sean Patrick Flannery as Arthur. Jurassic Park's Dr. Grant, Sam Neill, played Merlin in a 1998 TV miniseries that was very much a historical and a magical look at our story. With the introduction of an entirely new character, Queen Mab, to illustrate the tension between the old ways and the new. Here's a bit of that one. His tale is one of the greatest legends ever told. Now it is told like never before. Merlin. Critics hail Merlin as delightful and dazzling, fanciful, enchanted, altogether irresistible. It's a lovely story, and so are you. Merlin is pure luxurious pleasure. I will teach you to become the most powerful wizard in the world. Miniseries magic is back. You foresaw all this. I see things unknown. Merlin offers vision and sweep with sparkling special effects. I'm winning. No! And moving performances. Frick, am I so beautiful? Beyond words, my love. Raise your banners, men! We're home! It's a swashbuckling, impeccably staged, family classic. In his heart, he doesn't like magic. <laughs> this is very cool stuff. It's nothing less than an instant classic. Merlin produced ratings that could only be labeled magical. I'm a wizard, that's my business. In a world bound by... The land is cursed. Before the spell of Queen Mab. I'll see you fade into nothing! And a kingdom at war was his destiny. Traitors, I curse you all! His reign will end in blood. I'll destroy you for what you've done to me! The girl dies. Let Merlin watch. 
was his hope. Arthur will heal the land. Excalibur was his legacy. It is the sword of the true king. It is yours, Arthur. The sword is yours. But beyond the monsters of illusion and the shadows of the night, <sighs> the only thing stronger than darkness itself was the power of Merlin's light. There aren't any wizards left. I'm the last of them. Helena Bonham Carter, John Gielgud, Rodker Hauer, Sam Neill, Miranda Richardson, Isabella Rossellini, Martin Short, Billy Whitelaw, and James Earl Jones as the Mountain King. Hallmark Entertainment and Robert Hallney Sr. proudly present the critically acclaimed miniseries, Merlin. Neil revised his role in a 2006 update called Merlin's Apprentice, which features a hunt for the Holy Grail. One of the more entertaining modern takes on the Merlin Arthur story is the BBC TV series Merlin, which envisions them both as youths and Arthurs being ensconced as the king-in-waiting at Camelot before Merlin ever arrives on the scene. The two don't get along so well at first, Where's the target? There, sir. It's into the sun. It's not that bright. A bit like you, then. <laughs> Put the target down the other end, shall I say? <laughs> this will teach him. Okay, <laughs> hang on. Don't stop. <laughs> Here? Told you to keep moving. Hey, come on, that's enough. What? You've had your fun, my friend. Do I know you? Uh, I'm Merlin, so I don't know you. No. Yet you called me friend. That was my mistake. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I'd never have a friend who could be such an ass. <laughs> or I, one who could be so stupid. Tell me, Merlin, do you know how to walk on your knees? No. Would you like me to help you? I wouldn't if I were you. Why? What are you going to do to me? You have no idea. Be my guest. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh. <sighs> I'll have to in jail for that. Well, who do you think you are, the king? No, I'm his son, Arthur. But, as in other traditions, Arthur comes to rely on Merlin more and more as this TV series progresses. That show, which also prominently featured both Guinevere and a dragon, ran in the late 2000s. Here's another clip illustrating the idea of the round table. This table belonged to the ancient kings of Camelot. A round table afforded no one man more importance than any other. They believed in equality in all things. So it seems fitting that we revive this tradition now. Without each of you, we would not be here. 
In the very recent past, we had a cable series on the STARS network called Camelot. Joseph Fiennes, who played the title character in Shakespeare in Love, was Merlin in that one. And Jamie Campbell Bower was a young Arthur. Playing Morgan Le Fay in this series was Eva Green, whom you, whom you might know better as Vesper Lind in the Daniel Craig Bond universe. So here's a clip from that series. Present to you your undoubted king! I will establish here at Camelot a new way of ruling for you, the people! What is your name? It's Guinevere. Arthur. Brother and king, I stand here as your sister, offering my love and devotion. She covets Arthur's throne. This is my birthright. Trust no one. Is there no end to your ambition? Malin, Arthur needs you! What exactly do you think I'm capable of? Get close to Arthur and kill him. Leontes, have you met Guinevere? Actually, we've known each other a very long time. The wedge between Arthur and his champion bring it all down. Don't marry him. You asking me as my king? Everything you are is because of me. You will show me respect. Tomorrow could be the end of all of us. I will not be challenged! Answer your king! God help me. We'll see a new big-budget film version of the King Arthur story in 2017. Guy Ritchie, otherwise known as the one-time Mr. Madonna, and an accomplished film director in his own right. He directed the two most recent Sherlock Holmes movies, with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, has signed on to direct a series of new films. The first one, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, is due out next year. Here's the official trailer, recently released at Comic-Con. Tell me story. Tell me every detail. I woke up. From where? From a nightmare. What was it about? Then? Then, me and the lads took care of a bit of business. Hold up, hold up, back up. You've left something out. Are you writing a book? They all lived happily ever after. No, they didn't either. Because for the first time, there's something you don't know. Something nobody told you. Prophecy. This is your prophecy. Young man came from hunting, faint and weary. I know what kind of a man you are. What is that, my lord, my dearie? I know your story. 
Behold! The man who pulled sword from stone! I'm not getting drawn into this mess. There's an army of you. There's only one in me. I'll talk. I'm happy to talk. But there is no way that I am fighting. now you know what happens now you're quickly becoming a legend Playing King Arthur in that one will be Charlie Hunnam, whom you might recognize from Sons of Anarchy. Other big names include Jude Law as the High King Vortigern, and Eric Bana as Eric's father, Uther Pendragon. And here's another Star Trek connection. Eric Bana was the villain Nero in the 2009 Star Trek movie. Again, with a nod to M5, here are some more Star Trek connections to King Arthur, this time to TV and films. A 1999 feature film called Arthur's Quest transports the Arthur story into the modern day. And playing a character called Mr. Whitney in this film is Clint Howard, who played Baylock in the original series episode The Corbomite Maneuver. A 1989 TV movie of a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court featured René Abergenois, Odo on Deep Space Nine, as Merlin. A 1998 version of the same book, called A Night in Camelot, starred Whoopi Goldberg, who, of course, was Guinan on Star Trek The Next Generation. And we have two mentions of Connecticut Yankee in the Star Trek TV series. Twain himself features in the Next Gen 2-parter Time's Arrow, and Twain mentions the book in Part 2. And in the Voyager episode Spirit Folk, Captain Catherine Janeway gives a copy of Twain's book to a holodeck character named Michael Sullivan. Well, that's a brief look at the story of King Arthur, as it has been portrayed in movies and on television for the last hundred years or so. You can find dozens and dozens of other movies and TV shows on this subject that I haven't talked about. And that's just the fiction. You can find plenty of documentaries on this subject, in your local video store, and especially online. Unlike many other stories, it just gets richer with each telling and retelling. Okay, thanks again to Rico for giving me this opportunity, and thanks to all of you for listening to me today. This is Dave White, signing off.